Hey guys, this is Tom O'Pennekick, and you're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. The scene with uh, Adama, the president, right. and him when they're talking about what he did to his wife. I was just like, snap, that was really yeah. good. He did a really good job. I felt like I had chills from that yeah. scene. That scene when he stood up and he had that, this kind of glare down towards her, and he's and then Adama puts his hand on his arm. I was like, wow. And he's a big that boy, too. I didn't really. <laughs> that was intense. Who bashes he on? No, other podcasts. Other podcasts do. Significantly. People on set were weeping. The cameraman was weeping. Everyone was weeping. Gilo didn't exterminate the Cylons in these last 10 episodes. It's going to blow your mind, man. Blow your mind. Hello, and welcome to the Galactica Quorum. This is a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I'm Brian, and I will be sharing with you today an interview that we did with Tom O'Pennicott when we went to DragonCon. Myself, Michelle, and her husband Ted went to DragonCon, had a great time, and Along the way, we got to talk to a bunch of people, one of which was Tomo, who plays Hilo on the show. So I'll be bringing that to you now. Before we get started, I'll give you some of our housekeeping notes. Our email address is gquorum at gmail.com. That's G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. Our voicemail is 206-350-6756. And our website is galacticacorum.com, where we have our forums. And we're also on Facebook, and you can follow us on Twitter if you look up Galactica Quorum as one word. If you're new to the podcast, we've done several other interviews. Most recently, a couple months ago, we talked with Mark Shepard. That's episode number 50. We talked with Nikki Klein in episode number 45. We interviewed James Callis in episode 35. And we talked to Aaron Douglas in episode number 23. So as I mentioned in our last podcast, we had an interview with Tomo. Just to set this up, we did the interview in a room uh, near the top of the Marriott Hotel in Atlanta, Great view. They had a nice spread of stuff. The only issue was now and again, the hotel staff would come in and replenish a bunch of the drinks and ice and food. And they did it during our interview. And I apologize for that. There's just times when you'll hear them coming in and making a little bit of noise in the background. But other than that, it was a great time. I really thank Tomo for talking with us. One thing I do need to mention is that Tomo brings up a scene he does in one of the last of the 10 episodes that involves Hilo and Sharon. It doesn't give away any major plot points, but if you're concerned about any spoilers at all, just be on the lookout for that. So without any further delay, let's play the interview. Okay, so we are talking with Tom O'Panicket here at Dragon Con. It's uh, our first Dragon Con, but you've been to... Have you been one to one before? I have. I have. I was here uh, two years ago. Now, this is a transitional one for you because you're sort of... Battlestar is ending, but you have a new show. I do. A great Joss Whedon show, which mm-hmm. we hope just takes off. Yeah, thank And you. Uh, so maybe next year, you know, you're going to be launching into that, too. So this might be like a, a bridge Dragon Con for you. Yeah. Where you have a whole new set of fans coming to see you. And yeah, stuff. and I hear the Whedon fans are pretty, uh, they're pretty crazy, man. They're pretty passionate. <laughs> yes. They love Joss, man. They really do. I'm really starting to encounter a lot of them. Ironically, it's funny, half the Whedon fans that have come up to tell me they're really excited about the show... I guess there are also people who have seen Battlestar and appreciate it, too, because uh, most of them... Uh, I've got one out of the five photos I have for people to select. I've got one uh, dollhouse photo. It's a group shot. All the Whedon fans, though, have taken a Hilo shot, though. 
they've been taking. They've only been a few of the Whedon shots that, or the uh, the dollhouse ones that I've actually sold. So for Hilo, for me, there's a couple iconic visual Hilo moments. Obviously, one which everyone brings up is the the Raptor shot in the miniseries where it's taking off. Hilo's standing there. Yes. And kind of the one that got you the regular series role. And then the other one for me is is the Rapture episode after shooting Sharon mm. and Rosalind and Adama are in the room mm. and Hilo, you stand up because she's kind of berating you mm-hmm. and Hilo stands up and slowly starts walking towards her with like this measured intensity. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that and I was thinking, wow, mm-hmm. that was for me a really one of the big Hilo moments. Cool. Thank and, you. I'm uh, happy you mentioned that you're the first person to mention that moment other than Eddie. Eddie really liked that moment. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. No, No, but it was, I just remember you felt the force of his conviction at that time, but also the Mm. restraint. And it was also something very subtle when Adama's hand just very lightly restrains him just a little bit. And that was enough to make him. Isn't that that a beautiful touch? Yeah. I thought that was great. Eddie threw that in there. That's not scripted, right? That's the stuff we come on. That's that's what you get when you're working with the likes of Edward James almost. I was just in it, man. What was beautiful about that and what I love about Reimer I've been really spoiled as an artist on this series many different times, but I shot the scene where I shoot Sharon right before that, mm. right before it. Wow. So Reimer did that for me. He knew how heavy that scene was going to be. And that's one of the heaviest scenes I've ever done. Mm. Luckily though, it was just there when I read it, it was so beautiful. I started crying, like reading the, that scene. I was like, Oh my God, that's heavy. Mm. I knew that Grace and I were going to be in a good place though. I didn't have to think about it. Done enough work. I know this character well enough. He is me that, and this journey and the writing's, so good that the situation's there. That's when you don't really have to do a lot of work for it. You just trust in it and you have to go though. You have to take the plunge. And we did, and it was just there and it was quick. Like we got that scene done. It only took a few takes. We didn't have to play around with it. So I was in the head space, man. Like I just shot my wife holding her dead limp body in my arms and gone to a really ugly, truthful, emotional place right before. So when we went into the next scene with Rosalind and Adama, I was, I was in the zone, man. I was so focused and so intense. You know, I made a lot of choices about that too. You know, it's like the audacity of the president to even question that. Mm-hmm. She's the reason she lied to me about my child. She hid my child from me. And the blocking of it too, Reimer didn't give me any direction. It was just, it just happened. I was like, when she starts laying into me, it's like, uh, I'm like, I'm just shocked. The audacity. I can't believe it. And I'm just, I, I have to go up and give her a piece of my mind, right? It's, it's beyond military and protocol and the presidency and what have you now. It's like, I have to give, you know, it's, it just happens. It was a natural reaction. I just stood up and went to her and I was like, I remember a couple of takes. I don't think I was ever quite yelling, but I was seething, mm. seething. Yeah. Between you and me, I mean, well, I mean, everyone's going to share on this, but yeah, Eddie basically shared with me how intense that scene was. I think it was uh, very intense for Mary too. It's one of those times where, you know, even though we're, we're in it, we're acting, it's, uh, it's very real. So it's cool. Yeah. It's neat that you mentioned that. Well, there's the woman king, which was sort of a heel episode. Was there other scenes or particular events that you thought was really a displayed Hilo's character in a certain way? Well, so many of them, obviously that I've done with grace, right? Most of my intense scenes are with her. You know, some of the things that we have to go through and I'll tell you this, I wish I could tell you about it, but there's there, man, man, you got some, <laughs> you got some beauties coming up in these last 10 episodes. I'm telling you, man, there's, there's a scene that I did with grace. And before we were talking about it, as we always have, and I just, I've always loved working with her so much for, you know, we're the best of friends and we come from the same acting school and just a relationship. We've our relationship, how much has developed over the years working together for so long and how trusting it is, you know, we're going to go to that place no matter what we know we're going to give it up, but we had a really, really intense scene. And it's, it's one where, you know, I may be doubting whether my wife even loves me anymore and whether it's over. 
I mean, I guess that's a little bit of a spoiler there. Uh, <laughs> I've never really given one, but it's it's an intense scene, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that Hilo and Sharon have gone through before, but the work was beautiful, man. I'm telling you right now, Eddie was weeping. He was directing it. Uh, we were all weeping. People on set were weeping. Cameraman was weeping. Everyone was weeping. <laughs> so, yeah, not to share too much, but this amazing stuff, man. The work that everyone's going to put out in these last 10 episodes, it's going to blow your mind, man. Blow your mind. Some of the most beautiful stuff. It's amazing as an artist to work on such an incredible piece of art. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like the bar and the precedent's been set so high for me. I've been so spoiled with this show. I really don't think that people are even going to recognize how, how important this series is, this social, political, religious relevance. I mean, it's finally getting the respect now. People are going to realize it 10, 15 years down the road, even more so. Mm-hmm. And I really think that we've, we've done such an amazing job. And if sci-fi is smart about this, which hopefully they will be, because they, they don't even know how to handle the show. It's like they've never received so much critical acclaim from a series that this franchise won't die because we've set a precedent now and I truly believe it's going to go on. And I, you know, I like to say that too, to the fans. Cause I, you know, a lot of fans are like, Oh, it's over. And I'm so sad. And they're concentrating on the negative as well. It's an incredible thing. It's good. We ended when we did, we needed to Ron Moore is that brilliant. He decided we were coming to an end. Well, then it's the end, but there's opportunity for a different storyline. Right. And Caprica, I think is going to take off of that. And, uh, I think it's brilliant. I'm excited about Caprica. I'm excited that we've set this bar. We were the originals and now somebody else is going to take the torch mm-hmm. and run with it. And I think it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. I mean, the premise is fascinating. Let's mm-hmm. start 50 years before. Let's touch on uh, Adama's father, who was always being referenced in our show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay. And right now they're doing the <clears throat> TV movie, right? But mm. with, um, it's I haven't started movie. yet, almost. But oh, they're just starting it? Okay. Yeah. Eddie's directing. And uh, Aaron is in that? Is yeah. That okay. Any other cast members that we would know or we're allowed to say? I don't even know if I'm allowed to say, but I think it's... Yeah, I don't think I should say. Okay. I can tell you this, though. I'm probably not doing it. And I don't even know if I'm in the storyline anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty much busy with Dollhouse right now anyways. I would love to do it, though. Of course. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. But it'd be weird, though, thinking back to when I talked to, um, I guess it was Aaron last year, and he was saying how when it's the last time to do a scene in, like, say, the hangar deck or the CIC, they'd be like, oh, this is our last shot here. You guys already had your rap party. You, you've mm-hmm. closed up, and now yeah. they're kind of going back. Would it be weird, though, after you've done it, to have another go at it like that, do you think? No, man. <laughs> I think we'd all... I, I could just see it right now. Everyone's going to be like, hey, what's up? Let's do this. It's going to be fine. It's like they're doing a movie. It's not like, okay, we're about to start the 20-episode grind right, again or right. whatever. It's like, let's do this movie. This could be great. I think they're... Yeah, look like, like what big family, man. Bunch of kids. I think everyone would just be really appreciative of of the situation and the fact that we're going back and everyone would be like, let's, let's have some fun, man. Well, must I don't think it'd be too weird. The thing is like, listen, when we ended, you know, I, I'm sure you guys had, and we had especially this romantic idea that we were going to, you know, I was going to do the very last scene and it'd be like, you know, me say goodbye to my family or, or, you know, the ship's exploding or someone's dying, you know, something, something heavy, you know, you had this idea that that's how it's going to end. And that's going to be the last scene. And it's going to be a cut and everyone's going to cry. And I mean, it was incredibly emotional and it finished, but man, the last couple of weeks were a grind. Mm-hmm. They were switching scenes every single day. And some people finished on like some meaningless, like action scenes, sort of second unit stuff. That's what they had to finish with. Mm-hmm. And that's the nature of our business. And that's just how it worked out. And it was like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, to be honest with you, did happen to finish a pretty heavy, amazing scene. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough, but a lot of us didn't. I know that Jamie didn't. 
a lot of people did. They just didn't have that. They were doing some like serious action. They've been doing it for hours. We're talking 14, 15 hour days. People were just done. Jimmy had to jump on a plane right away and go home to his family who he hadn't seen forever. But Ron Moore did show up and, you know, he showed up with a bunch of champagne and it was great, man. <laughs> it was very emotional. But uh, I didn't actually let myself go too far on that because I probably would have made to a weeping little mess on the floor. <laughs> I don't know if they would have been able to pick me up, <laughs> put on a brave face. Our podcast, we discuss Battlestar Galactica and we really delve deep into mm. discussions, but we also are considered the Hilo Lover podcast. I love it. <laughs> Good. And there are other podcasts and other forums out there that are the Hilo haters. What mm. do you, have you read any of that stuff? What no, you, I didn't know there was Hilo haters. What do you make of that? I mean, you know, I joked about it the other day and the, I think it's ridiculous as Hilo haters. I, I, like I said, once again, I don't know if you remember the, the panel we did yesterday there, but it's like, you know, sometimes I get, I get such a kick out of people coming out to me and being really serious and really upset with me. Yeah. Tom Opetiket. Love the fact that Hilo did this. He yeah. didn't exterminate the Cylons when he had a chance to do it with a biological weapon. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, come on now. This is an incredible show. It really is. But this is make-believe, and you wouldn't have a series if Hilo had done that, if there was no more Cylons. Would you really be happy? I, I, don't, I don't know. It's really strange to me to hear that. So if there's Hilo haters, I don't know. People get right into their, their characters and what have you. I guess uh, I don't even know what to say to that. My life is... Um, Busy as is, I got a lot of friends and family around me, and uh, I only have so much time to watch even television. I love movies, and I only watch a few shows anyway because I don't have a lot of time for it. I don't want to spend tons of my time watching television, and uh, I definitely don't have time to sit and uh, read a bunch of negative stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I try not. To, I try to avoid negative stuff. Right? Right. I think some people, even before the virus storyline, they were kind of put off by having anyone who was sort of pro-Cylon that <clears throat> sort of saw the Cylons as a <clears throat> race of, quote, people. Yeah. And Hilo was one of the first to do that. Yeah. So for someone to, like, take the other side was uh, maybe that rubbed them the wrong way. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. I can understand that. I can understand that. I think that's so great about our show, though. I think we've done our job properly. Then Ron Moore is and his writing team and they've written so well that they've got the audience that invested in different sides and what have you. But I think that's so brilliant about our show too. It's very much about tolerance and looking at the different sides. I mean, the good guys are often the bad guys and vice versa. And, you know, it's like, it's really interesting because you see people come full circle and then ultimately in the end, you know, those same people who were healer haters in the end, I doubt they are in, in the very end of the show. And you start finding out who, who are Cylons and understanding them a bit more and realizing it was one of your favorite characters who <laughs> you always loved. And even though he's a Cylon now, you're kind of okay with it now and you're over it. Yeah. yeah it's really about tolerance and it's, it's pretty neat, man. I, it's amazing with how much this, this show is provoked in terms of conversation. And it's like you said, I mean, I, I heard the forums online are just nuts. There's so many of them, There's so much discussion about the show regularly. I wonder too if, because Hilo is not a character that existed in the original series, mm-hmm. a lot of people have preconceptions of what a character should be based on what they were in the original series. Like they might see Apollo and he needs to be gallant or he needs to be a yeah. certain way. And Hilo, they don't know. He has no frame of reference from before. Which is great, yeah. yeah. Well, did you find that less of a burden, not having a character to be referenced from the original series or did it matter? I don't think I consciously thought this is, you know, it's less of a burden. But I definitely saw the opportunity in it because one of the biggest things I've learned in acting is how much you can actually influence the writing. And I think that's something that I've talked about as of late more than a few times, but it's something that I learned really observing these great actors on the show. And then when you see it actually work, like you have a scene, it's written a certain way, but you just don't believe in it. So you deliver it a different way that 
the writers intended it for it to be delivered because of, you know, that's what you feel your character would do, or it's just a choice, it's a bold choice that you've made. And you see the response to that. You have the writers say, wow, I didn't even see that. Or, you know, there's this opportunity. And, you know, it, it gets a different reaction from your castmate. And suddenly the scene is completely transformed from the way that it was originally written. And then you actually see how much influence you really do have over the writing without actually being a difficult actor, goddamn diva, who's like, look, my character wouldn't do this. And, you know, I wouldn't say that, blah, 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 rewriting the scenes, which some people can be like. Um, you know, when that first started happening and I realized it because, you know, I had, I think I had, uh, Bradley came up to me once and he was like, wow, you know, you guys did the scene and you did this thing and you know, I totally didn't see it that way. And I'm like, well, you know, I've made my own choices in terms of this character because you guys haven't given me anything really. You know, if you look at first season, it's great. We get, we get a sense of who Hilo is right off the bat. I mean, he's obviously brave, obviously very selfless. He gives up his seat to Guy's Baltar because he thinks the world's going to end. How many of us can say we do that? We'd all like to say, oh, of course, I would be the hero. And I give, Come on, man. People would have been doing exactly what the, all those refugees were doing. All those people were, like, running for their lives. They were jumping on the ship. They were trying to survive. You're, the, you're facing, like, a nuclear holocaust. You're going to want to live. But Hilo goes and gives up his seat. You know, I mean, granted, he was wounded and he thought that he might die. But, I mean, you get a good sense of who this guy is. And I think very much Hilo was a young man. With some, you know, some good ethics, some good morals, some values, but he was still a young man. But that happened. That forced him to take some big. Everything that happened to him in a very short amount of time, having a baby with a Cylon, realizing she's a Cylon or impregnating one or what have you, forced him to grow up and become a man very, very quickly. And did he ever step into those boots? He really did. And he's a man of conviction, even in the face of huge adversity and prejudice and, and being alone many, many times. It's impressive. I think it went off on a tangent there. I don't even know if I answered the question. <laughs> That's well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of first season, that was the season where you were on location, running through the forest, being yeah. a survivalist. And then you transition. Hilo becomes the XO and he's on the bridge. And I remember reading that and I was like, wow. It's <laughs> <That's> quite <laughs> like, a way to go. This is great. You had every job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So nice you went from that to... A lot of promotion and demotion happening about us. <laughs> There's only 30,000, yeah. 40,000 people left. This happens, yes. right? Yeah. So on the one hand, you had, in the first season, had a whole plot line where it was pretty much just you. You know, you're holding up. You and Sharon are, mm-hmm. are the ones that are having this whole plot line thread. And then on the other hand, now you get to act with everyone else on the regular set mm-hmm. with, you know, with all these great people. So it was it worth the trade-off now where you are now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, of course it was. Somebody asked me that this morning. Of course it was cool shooting stuff on Caprica. And that was the end of the point that I was going to make before that I didn't finish. But, like, there wasn't a lot of dialogue if you look at me in the yeah. first season. That's a great opportunity in itself as an actor. I mean, you know, there's a lot of emotions that I had expressed in situations with not a lot of dialogue, which was great. And the, like I said, running around on the planet and the action stuff with Grace was amazing for a season. But it was awesome while it lasted. And I do love action stuff and what have you. And uh, those were well written, too, at the same time. But I also love these writers are incredible. And they write so well. And the opportunity to work with this entire beautiful cast who's all so talented in so many different ways. That's what I want to do. That's what I get off on. Doing the dance with Edward James Almost, Mary McDonald, James Callis, Aaron Douglas, Grace. I mean, that's that's it, man. I'm so spoiled. Like to work with that many different talented actors on one show, like the ensemble on the show is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the work I've seen on the show is some of the best I've ever seen. Blown me away. I, the first couple of times I worked with Eddie and Mary, I'd be like, I'd totally forget my lines. I'd just be watching them. <laughs> I was an audience member. And then the camera would be like, you know, they'd be like, Tom, like you can say your line. I'd be like, oh, uh, <laughs> line, please, line. Because I just be watching, man. They're so good, yeah. so subtle yet so like, just waited so much there. Like just incredibly talented actors, man. 
this is the first convention that Edward James Olmos has, has come to, mm -hmm. I guess. What's it like kind of having him here? And, you know, it's awesome. It's part of the reason I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie's a very good friend. He's an incredible mentor and uh, lead of a series, and he provided the perfect example of how a lead should be. And he made sure that we became a big family. He made sure that everyone did activities together. He brought us all together. We've gone through a lot in five years, man. You know, two of our British cast members have had five kids between them. <laughs> People have been married. You know, there's a lot of yeah. things happened. So we've been through a journey together, so we're all very close. And Eddie's a big reason for that, that we're all so close. Yeah. I learned a lot from him. I constantly learn from him. I'm still learning from him. Yeah, I look up to that man a lot. You know, I love him very much. And he's directing, like we mentioned before, he's directing the movie. And I guess what it sounds like, he's doing another episode in the, in the final 10. Yeah. Have you uh, been watching him in terms of like being a director too? Is that something you're looking to do? Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. He directs one of the last episodes of Battlestar. One of, the, one of the last three or something. He's, he's great. I love working with Eddie because, you know, he's an actor number one. Well, Sometimes he's director, yeah, number one. But what have you? You know, he's, he's ever James almost sweet. He does it all. He's a man of many different trades and abilities. But he, um, he's a great director, man. He's great because he knows how to really pull out that performance out of an actor. He knows what he's looking for. And he feels safe with him, you know. And I've worked with him enough that he's like, we can go to that deep, dark, crazy place that we do in Battlestar Galactica. Mm -hmm. Battlestar started as a kind of a hard science show with recognizable technology and very cold science, nothing really fantastical, mm -hmm. things we kind of recognize. And then as the seasons went on, it became more, there's some mysticism, there's an element of religion mm -hmm. thrown in and things you have to like take with a lot of faith. Mm -hmm. And coming from Ron Moore, having said that he kind of leans towards being an agnostic, it's sort of, I kind of find that sort of surprised. Are you surprised that it went in that direction? Do you find it to be a natural progression going from a really, a really science fiction show to something that has that element to it? No, not really. Cause I think that element was always there. I think it was there in the beginning. Maybe they didn't explore it as much, but the intention and the idea was there. I think they always knew they were going to head in that direction. So it doesn't really surprise me. It seemed like a natural progression and whether it was like premeditated and well thought out to the point that they're like, okay, this is how we're going to attract the audience. We're going to get them on this level. And then we're going to start leading into the, you know, as you talked about the mysticism and the religion and what have you, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> the man's pretty damn talented and brilliant. <laughs> I look at the series as a whole and obviously there's some misses, you know, it's always is. How can you know? It's episodic. Some episodes aren't going to work. You need to experiment as perfect as you are. There's no show out there that is just perfect episode to episode. It's all up to a matter of opinion. I've talked to so many people. I've had a lot of people who really liked uh, The Woman King, my episode. I obviously liked it because it was one of the first episodes, which was really mine. But I've also heard, and I actually did read some stuff online that were like, people were just bashing the hell out of it. They didn't like it. It wasn't the performances they didn't like. They just didn't like the storyline. You know, this happens. It's a matter of opinion. People are always going to uh, agree and disagree. This is this is life. You know, we have to agree to disagree. And and these, these guys are, uh, I think, more times than not, though, we've definitely... Uh, We've been bang on, man. We've done some incredible, incredible episodes. So at many of these conventions, I've heard a lot of the cast members say they've pulled pranks on each other. Mm. Have you done any? I don't know. I've been to a few of these with Douglas. <laughs> I mean, more than intoxicated, uh, more than a couple times with Douglas. We got pretty goofy. We did this one in Britain, which he'd done already. So we, you're supposed to go up and do your Q&A, your panel, by yourself. Mm. So there's like 200 people, and you're supposed to sit up there. And Douglas was heckling so much in the background, asking most of the questions. that I basically told him to F off and get up on stage with me. <laughs> so that just turned into the whole thing just falling apart. And then we started just uh, improv and messing around. And then Sam joined us, Sam Whitmer. 
and he was there. And so he joined up and then we just started improv and we had the audience ask us to do stuff and we were playing different characters. And I've actually kind of continued that theme. So last August, I was at um, the same convention of Brian Cooney's. It was, it was Reka's first time, Alessandro's first time at a convention. And uh, who else? Oh, and Leah. Leah Karen. So it was all three of them their first time. I'd done more than a few of them, right? So I got a kick out of it. I was like, they're all kind of nervous and what have you. And I remember exactly how it was too. I was scared my first convention. I was like, wow, I was just sit there by myself, you know, and just like, talk to these people. And but so they went out and they were doing so I, I did the exact same thing. Whenever they were doing a QA, just like I'd be heckling and asking questions. And then eventually I just got up there and we just threw it all out the window. And Brian was having a knit fit. He was like, we've got, we've got a plan and a structure and there's time. You have to do this or what have you. We were improving stuff. We were playing different characters. We had so much. They've still got it on, on DVD, I think. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's pretty funny, man. We all got up there at the same time and just messed around. Threw it out the window. It was fun. Cool. So what can you tell us about Dollhouse? How is that? How is the uh, character you're going to be playing different than Elo? Is it? I think he's very different, man. He's very different. There's an understanding, which I'm happy about, because I'd hate to be playing a character. Most of the characters I've played, there's been a click. You know, there's been an understanding, a cerebral understanding of the character. Like, you know, a lot of actors will tell you that. Like, when you read something, you're just like, like, when I read the sides for Elo, and I don't want this to sound too egotistical, but I was like, and I hadn't even done a lot. I was in no position to just know that I was going to get it, but I knew I was going to get it. I read it and I was like, this is my role. This is my guy. I just knew it. It was weird, but that happens sometimes. Actors will tell you that. Or, you know, sometimes they don't get it. But they know the character. You just understand it right away when you read it. And Paul, it's like, I read the sides and stuff. I was like, okay, yeah, I get, I get this guy. But I still, I need to do him more. I've, I've only been doing this for three weeks. and I've had some good scenes, but I'm really looking forward to like maybe six, sixth or seventh episode where I'm like, I've done Paul a lot in a lot of different situations mm. and it's really just there. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I'm still working towards that, but it's good. And Joss is very, very talented. And the difference between Paul and Hilo is many, you know, Hilo's a, Hilo's a family man. Um, Paul is very much a lone wolf. Their ambition is probably the same, but you know, that's, I think that's where it ends. Like Paul is, I think he's really self-righteous, which is interesting because self-righteous people are almost always compelling. You got to wonder what motivates them and how, much that'll get them in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Are they blind to anyone else's help or to any other possibilities? Why is it like that? I think it's, it, I'm not giving away anything, but like Paul's recently divorced, maybe by a year. He doesn't really have any family. He doesn't have anyone in his life and he's holding onto his job by a shoestring, but he's driven. He's motivated. And when he believes something's right or he believes in something, he doesn't know how to quit. And that's cool. I like that about him. Yeah. Very much a lone wolf. That's how I like to describe him. Yeah. Well, we hope it's a success. I really hope so, too. We'd love to see uh, another great Joss Whedon show. We'd love to see more of you because we're big fans. Oh, man. Thank you. Yeah. And so thanks for talking with us today. It's oh, been great. Thank you so much. You guys, it's good. I just want to thank Tomo again for talking with us. And I want to say once again, we do have more material from Dragon Con coming up. There is one more interview, which will be coming up very soon. And I have some video podcasts in the works as well. We'd love to hear from you. So use our voicemail and our email address. Send us some feedback, send some questions. It doesn't have to be just about Battlestar. We talk about other sci-fi shows as well. So here once again is the email address and phone number. It's gquorum at gmail.com and the voicemail 206-350-6756. That'll do it for this time. The jump clock is running. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
There you go. <laughs> Get in there. Have some cookies. Yeah, we tried to convince Alex to come down. Yeah. Well, he's working. He's busy being the lead in a movie right now. Yeah. That's what I heard. I heard yeah. yeah, we were happy when you mentioned him yesterday. Yeah, definitely. Like, of course, yeah, I heard you guys all cheer. 